0: G'day and welcome to the City on a Hill podcast. I'm Guy, Senior Pastor of City on a Hill, a movement of churches across Australia united around the central mission of knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. Whether you're on your morning commute or sitting down with a warm cup of coffee, I hope this message fuels your faith, hope, and love. And while we're here, let me encourage you to prayerfully consider supporting this ministry. You can do that by heading to cityonahill.com.au. God bless. Look forward to connecting soon.
1: The reading is taken from the letter of Paul to the Colossians, chapter 1, reading from verse 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Thank you, Tabitha. Well, good morning, church. Uh, Happy New Year to you all. It's great to be back gathering together, even though it was only one Sunday off. I missed all of you. So, thankful to see you all here. Before we jump in, uh, just quickly let you know that our youth leadership team, uh, Jimmy and his wife Chelsea have taken uh, Joey Slough and a few other youth leaders away on a weekend uh, sort of planning and vision trip Uh, and so uh, yeah, keep them in your prayers over these, uh, over the rest of the weekend. Uh, It's exciting what's on their heart uh, for our young people and really looking forward to seeing all that God does in our youth space. Um, Let's pray together and jump into God's Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness and kindness towards us, that you would bless us with your word, that you were not obligated to give to us, but out of your sheer grace and love for your people have given us the true and pure revelation of who you are and who that means that we are because of your goodness and kindness towards us in Jesus. Pray, Holy Spirit, that as we read your word this morning, as we think about your word this morning, uh, that although we could bring the brightest of minds or the tiredest of eyes to this text, thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're the one that is powerfully doing the work in our hearts, that we might be transformed and conformed to the image of Jesus. We pray this for your glory, for our good. Amen. And well, uh, if you read in my email the other day, which is a question of whether or not you read my emails, uh, you would have seen uh, that I love starting the year in Colossians 1, Uh, back when I was pastoring a church in Dubbo, effectively every uh, first Sunday of the new year, uh, the church even started getting sick of it, I was in Colossians 1. Um, or even just in my own private time, I'm in Colossians 1. There is something about staring at the, the bigness of Jesus through Paul's words in this chapter that seems to set me right uh, for the year, that seems to put the, the point of my compass not on me, not on the things of the world, not on the problems, and not even on my own sin and failure, but it puts the point of my compass on true north who Jesus Christ is and what he has absolutely completed on our behalf in the Gospel. Uh, Normally when I read Colossians 1, I feel like I skip over verses 1 through to 14. I know that the supremacy verses of 15 to 20 are on their way and like a kid who just wants to watch the action parts of a movie or an adult that just wants to watch the action parts of a movie, I feel like I gloss over those preceding verses. However, this year, uh, I was more intentional with slowing down and reading these opening verses and I've tried to pay more attention uh, to what Paul was saying through them, why those verses are there and why he says these things before his incredible declaration of Christ's preeminence. And what has struck me is that I've, as I've done this, firstly, I've learned more about who God is uh, through those 14 verses and secondly, The process has only gone on to make verses 15 to 20 shine all the more brighter. To understand the main thread or theme of what's happening in Colossians, a a bit of context to the letter. Uh, The church and Paul's relationship to them is helpful as we come to uh, God's Word to us Today, Now, Paul is writing this letter to uh, probably a collection of churches across the Colossae area um, and at the end of chapter 4, he actually instructs that church to pass this letter on to the churches of Laodicea and to receive a letter from Laodicea for them to read. Uh, and so you can sort of get this idea that he's, he's writing to one group, uh, he's written to another group but the information to both groups are helpful for all groups involved and so he's saying, send this stuff around, learn from it, be edified by it, let's grow together. Uh, and he's also, uh, of note, writing these letters from prison. He's been imprisoned for his preaching of the Gospel of Jesus for the way he's been stirring up uh, either the, uh, the Jews uh, and their sort of hatred of the message of Jesus or he's also in trouble with uh, the, the Greeks, the, the Gentiles, um, because of the way that he's messing with their pagan religion and also messing with their economy. Uh, you can read especially throughout Acts how uh, paul his mission to take the gospel into all the parts of the known world at that time aren 't just sort of going in speaking a nice message about jesus but it 's such a radical message that it is completely transforming the hearts and lives of people in those areas that it 's uh, actually starting to remove income from people who make money off pagan rituals uh, that is one thing that I would love to be a marker for our church. That's for free. Uh, Paul is writing this letter because of two main reasons. Firstly, he's heard the encouraging reports about their faith, uh, their love and hope. And secondly, he's heard discouraging reports of false teachers getting a foothold. So to understand why Paul writes the way he does, we need to understand a little bit about what he's writing against uh, at the For the sake of time, the simplest way to articulate uh, the the issue that he was hearing about uh, was to uh, mention what was known, what had come to be known as Gnosticism, which was a philosophical and sort of pseudo-religious movement that emphasised the attainment of special knowledge which would lead to a greater understanding of who God was who we were, and would promise to give people sort of the upper hand of spirituality, it was a, an elitism, if you like. However, what became clear very quickly to apostles such as Paul was that while it seemed profitable on the surface, it indeed was destructive. While it seemed like these people were on about the same Jesus, what became clear was that these people were espousing a different gospel. It was not gospel of Jesus Christ crucified for our sins. It was not a gospel of Jesus Christ raised to triumphant life, victorious over the power of sin and death. It was not a gospel of Jesus Christ as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so Paul writes this letter to remind the saints in Colossae and uh, in fact Laodicea that Jesus Christ is God, that his gospel is sufficient and that our eyes and hearts should be completely fixed on Jesus and fully satisfied in him alone. That there is nothing else to add which would make God or make our spiritual lives any more significant or insightful. But that in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And so now we come to know, now that we know a little bit more about the issues the Colossian Christians were facing, we can come to Paul's words with slightly more attuned ears to hear what it's saying. Really, the the predominant theme throughout Colossians, and particularly in this first chapter, is that Jesus and his gospel are enough. And so Paul goes about this letter in his typical pastoral yet direct way of showing that while he has no time for these false teachers, for their ideas that are from the reports he has heard, they're already dragging people away, he's going to make it clear that Christ is enough and that the truth and that truth leads Christ's people to live in a very specific way. As we walk through this passage, we'll take uh, note that Paul is calling these Colossians and you and me today to right knowledge and right conduct. Let's um, kick off reading again uh, Colossians chapter one. Let's read from verse three through to verse eight. It says, "We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the love sorry, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. Which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, and it is as it also does among you. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us to love your love in the Spirit. Did you pick up on that familiar triad? Of Paul's writings in our passage. Paul kicks off his letter to these beloved Christians with an affirmation of their faith, love, and hope. It's a classic leadership tendency, the encouragement sandwich. He's going to go on to call these Christians out more directly. But for now, he wants to celebrate and encourage uh, the reports that he's hearing back. He's heard of how the gospel is bearing fruit in their community. And he's celebrating their right knowledge and right conduct. And we should take notice of what he celebrates with, uh, as he celebrates this gospel fruit. Firstly, he isn't celebrating their attendance numbers. He isn't celebrating the quality of their venues. He isn't celebrating their music or lights or statistics. Now, sure, these are very modern things to be concerned about in church and they're actually not bad things. They can be good and helpful things, but we always run the risk of turning good things into ultimate things when we become convinced that we can't do without those things. But what we're witnessing Paul celebrate here are the hallmarks of a thriving Christian community. And so we need to pay attention. Look again at verses four and five. It says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. To summarize, faith in Christ, love for the saints. Hope laid up in heaven. If you take nothing else home from today's sermon, in fact, if you take nothing else home from this entire series in Colossians, take this home. True faith leads us to true love because of the true hope we have in Jesus. In our super consumerist culture, we are constantly tempted to pick and choose when it comes to church purely based on our preferences, usually preferences that don't have anything to do with these three very specific points of celebration and highlighting that Paul is doing here. More often than not, we're tempted to choose our church flavour because of how we prefer the music, the style of teaching, the thickness of the cushions on which we sit. We choose our church community like we choose our bedding. This one is just right for me. But can you see how Paul is making faith, love and hope the things to be pursued? The questions we should all be asking ourselves about this church are, does this church faithfully teach faith in Christ Jesus? Does this church faithfully pursue love for all the saints? Does this church faithfully hold up the hope laid up in heaven? Now, maybe you would answer no to some or all of those questions, and that would be devastating. But it's possible in our fallen world. However, can you recognize the culture shift opportunities that are available to a church that would pursue and champion these things as ultimate, over and above our petty preferences, which we often put so much weight on. As we continue through our passage, we'll see that Paul certainly holds these three things as desirable. He then goes on to celebrate that the Colossians heard this in the gospel. They've heard it faithfully taught to them and shown to them even in the ministry of Epaphras and it's been evident in their church community as per the reports that he's heard from messengers who are bringing this news of gospel fruit to him which drives him then to this phenomenal prayer for the church, a prayer for their right knowledge and right conduct, that the fruit of the gospel would continue to blossom among them and indeed across the areas which are hearing these reports. Let's continue to read verses 9 through to 14. It says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins there are 3 greek words that are going to be very helpful for us to understand what paul is saying here and why we need to hear his words today Uh, Firstly, as I mentioned earlier, the major threat of the Gnostics, those false teachers who are espousing a a special knowledge, is that the Colossian Christians can be very quickly deceived by these so-called higher beliefs and actually lose the Gospel. The usual Greek word that we translate as knowledge is gnosis. Gnosis. However, when Paul prays here in verse 9 that the Colossians might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, Paul uses the Greek word epignosis, which is why we translate into English as filled with knowledge. Paul is communicating that the kind of knowledge which God grants through our faith in Jesus Christ is the kind of knowledge that is full. It provides all spiritual wisdom and understanding for us to go about our salvation and live to God's honour and glory. Now, maybe you're sitting here this morning and you don't think that we're at much risk uh, when it comes to being distracted, drawn away, possibly destroyed by another gnosis or knowledge. However, I think it's worth us thinking this through and confronting a few different worldviews or teachings out there that might seem safe on the surface but maybe need to be more deeply unpacked. Firstly, even just in Brisbane, there are movements and religions which seem to espouse a similar knowledge of Jesus Christ but are in fact not doing so. Uh, Possibly of most concern lately is a group called New Heaven and New Earth. They claim to be a church that teaches the Bible and Jesus, but even a, 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 a what's it, cursory glance reveals that their teachings are based on a, a so-called special revelation or special knowledge uh, of the Bible from their founder. Now, these churches are popping up across Brisbane and I warn you not to be drawn into their lies and deceit. Our posture towards them needs to be uh, to pray, for their true salvation and that they would place their trust only in Jesus, not adding any special revelation to who Jesus is, who we fully know God to be in his word to us. But we also need to be defensive against false teaching and ensure that we are not falling into traps. If you think this group might have contacted you, are they quite prominent on social media? Uh, if you think they might have reached out to you or are trying to sort of draw you into it, can I please encourage you, come and have a conversation with myself or Mike. Uh, we would love to just sit with you and walk you through why we think this is dangerous and why we want to keep holding up the truth of who Jesus is as revealed in His Word. And secondly, there are a number of what I would call pseudo-Christians in our media these days. People like, uh, not exclusively but like Dr. Jordan Peterson. Now, while I certainly do not put him in the same category as a cult, I do think we need to be cautious in how we listen to his stuff. He does quite a lot of biblical conversation podcasts and YouTube videos, and we need to be discerning that we aren't letting what is being, uh, what is a secular approach to understanding the Bible cause us to stray from the truth of God's complete word that every word in it is God-breathed and profitable for our knowing God and what he's done for us through his son, Jesus, in the gospel. And young men, this is actually a particular warning to you also. In our world of hyper-wokeism, I appreciate and get the appeal of a man talking straight. But again, I caution you to discern what is biblical what is godly, and what, as Paul goes on to say in the next verses, causes us to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And this is where we find our third interesting Greek word, peripeteo, which is the normal Greek verb for walk, but interestingly, it is often uh, interpreted or to be understood as Conduct. In other words, when Paul says, walk in a manner worthy, we should not understand that to mean our particular style of walking. Sonny was doing some funny walking in, my grandparents la- in his grandparents' lounge room the other day and my dad brought up that sort of John Cleese, Faulty Towers style of walking, which probably 90% of you in the room have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, but for the other 10%, it's hilarious, yeah, the way he would walk. Paul is not talking about pick your particular style of walk and just back that. Paul is pointing out to us, uh, it's a metaphor for the concept of how we live. And Paul will use this idiom throughout Colossians and in plenty of other New Testament places and every single time it is referring to how we live our lives. Paul's prayer for these Christians is that due to the knowledge of God's will that they are given through the Spirit that their lives would be conducted in such a way that every part of them is bringing honour and glory to God. And he even gives the specifics in his prayer. This is is how one lives worthily. By bearing fruit in every good work, by increasing in the knowledge of God, by being strengthened with all power according to His, not our, glorious might, for all endurance and patience, with joy, giving thanks to the Father. That is what it means to walk or to conduct our lives in a manner worthy, in a way which is fully pleasing to the Lord. The concept of conducting ourselves, it's not as foreign as, we may, uh, as it may seem. Each of us, at some point, have either had to assess our own conduct or we've had to try and help others. Maybe children, uh, maybe friends, assess their conduct, uh, hopefully with the result of seeing change. I've certainly felt this pressure and tension as a father. My own conduct is on display in front of my children. I tend to let out all of my worst qualities around them. While I might be more on my best behaviour around others, my children certainly get an unfiltered experience of me, which, to my shame, is not always a manner worthy of Jesus. Plus, I also have the duty of trying to shape their conduct to be that which would be honoring to God. And I often feel like a hypocrite as I try to do so, given my own conduct. This is the life of the Christian. In a church like ours, we often emphasize the the grace of God towards us, which is good and right and will never stop as long as I get to be pastor in this church. In fact, um, I already mentioned that the proclamation of faith in Christ is one of the hallmarks of a biblically faithful church. But there is also the risk in a church like ours that we don't talk enough about what the Bible says regarding our living but can you hear in Paul's prayer here a desire to see these Christians continue to grow in their worthy living? To keep growing in their pleasing conduct. To have uh, we have to confront the realities of the gospel life. We have to see that our lives cannot simply remain the same. Because the gospel is not just a message of freedom from sin, but it's also a message of Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. We should ask ourselves is this a fair definition of my Christian life? Church, are we growing in endurance and patience with joy? Are we growing in our love for all the saints? Are we growing in good works? Are we increasing in our knowledge of God? And are we increasing in our thanksgiving to God? Or are we maybe apathetic to these things? Are we a Sunday Christian turning up to tick the box? Or possibly worse, again, are we more shallow than we admit? Imagine this year if our church was to radically grow in these things above. Imagine if we were a thriving community of Christian love for each other. If we were marked out by a culture of thanksgiving and joy, if we were known thoroughly throughout Brisbane for our good works in the gospel. Now, we might be tempted like these Colossians Uh, were to think that we need to find these attributes in some other place apart from the gospel. As I mentioned earlier, the threat of these false teachers was their message that Jesus isn't enough and a special knowledge was required. But as we continue through our passage, Paul brings home the truth uh, as he goes on to show uh, through part B of verse 12 through to 14, the only reason we have the opportunity to bear fruit in the gospel is because of the gospel itself and what that means. Keep reading this uh, Reread verse 12 through to 14. It says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us. From the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Did you hear those gigantic gospel words throughout that short passage we just read? Verse 12b, he has qualified us. Verse 13, he has delivered us. Verse 14, we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. This is why Paul is so adamant that we don't need anything else apart from Jesus because in Jesus we have all that we need for our godliness, our holiness, our right conduct because it's all through and by Jesus. Because of Jesus' perfect righteousness, we are qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Because of Jesus' atoning sacrifice on the cross and his triumphant resurrection from the grave, we have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of Jesus and now have redemption, which means our sins have been forgiven. In other words... All that we require to be those who live in a manner worthy and to be those who are fully pleasing to God has been accomplished for us in and through the perfect and powerful work of Jesus on our behalf. And now, because Paul's pastoral and caring, if his readers or any of us right now have any doubt about who Jesus is, his power or authority, Paul feels compelled to go straight into this passage of worship declaring exactly who Jesus Christ is and he does this for at least two reasons. One, as a defense against these false teachers and secondly, as a means of giving even more encouragement to the Colossians that Jesus is indeed God, that he has all power and therefore is completely capable of accomplishing all that the gospel promises us. Come and look at this. Listen uh, and read with me verses 15 through to 20. He, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. You have to read those chunks as a, as a, um, as a. Forgotten the word now. Um, what was I before this? No, some charismatic. There's the word I'm looking for. As a Pentecostal, you cannot read those words quietly under your breath or in a room full of really, really quiet, conserved Christians. <laughs> this verse lifts up and just glorifies all who Jesus is you have to read it as best you can in one big breath, as boldly and loudly as you can read it. Because could you imagine if that verse was being read out in heaven, how loud and chaotic it would be in that environment of people, uh, unperturbed, no filter, no faults, no failures, no sins in heaven, just worshipping and glorifying Jesus to their absolute uh, content and to the top of their voices, to the top of everything, in their lives is giving praise and glory and honour to King Jesus. Church, this is Jesus Christ. This is our Lord, our Saviour, our King, our Redeemer. This is the real Jesus, the preeminent Christ. This year, I'm sure we have Plenty of plans, hopes, dreams, desires. Many of these things will be good things, and we should pursue them. However, as we kick off 2024, church, let's be encouraged and compelled to fix our eyes and hearts upon who Jesus is the one who gave his life for us that we might really live. The one who has called us to live in a manner worthy, pleasing to God. The one who calls us up from our apathy into a life of faith in Christ Jesus. Love for all the saints with our hope laid up in heaven. In just a moment, we're going to take communion together and celebrate and remember as a church community all that this Jesus, the preeminent Christ, has done for us in his humiliation coming to earth as one of us. His dying a a horrible, painful, traumatic death on the cross in our place, the death that we deserve to die for our sins and his powerful and triumphant resurrection from the grave uh, which established him as King and Lord over all, all the universe, over all powers and principalities, the very same Jesus that we are in the room for this morning to worship and glorify and honour. And as we get ready to do that, what I want us to do first is just read through uh, the final verses of the uh, the chunk of chapter one we're going to sit in today, which is verses 21 to 23. After this incredible Uh, articulation about who Jesus is, Paul then calms his voice and comes to speak to what that means for you and me today. Verse 21, And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. In other words, not letting other gospels, so-called gospels or special knowledge into your life to try and add something to the very powerful and perfect message of Jesus Christ. Don't shift or don't turn to the left or to the right from that message. The message of Jesus is the message which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So let us come now to this time of communion, of lifting our eyes and our hearts to this Jesus who, for our sakes, though we were alienated, though we were in darkness, has now brought us to spiritual light and life in himself and has brought us to be His children. I like the way that the program worked for us to do communion today and kick our year off by praying this prayer of corporate confession together to bring our sins before our Heavenly Father, but also be reassured of the gospel hope we have in Jesus Church, as one family, as one voice, let's pray this prayer of confession together this morning. Merciful Father, we have strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the schemes and desires of our own hearts and have broken your holy laws. We have left undone what we ought to have done and we have done what we ought not to have done. Yet, good Lord, have mercy on us. Restore those who repent according to the promises declared to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Grant, merciful Father, for his sake, that from now on we may live godly and obedient lives to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Amen, church god 's Word has good news for us as we 've been talking about all morning John one uh, one John one nine says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and uh, just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and He goes on a bit later in one John two two to say that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, which means that God exhausted his righteous anger and wrath against our sins, completely against Jesus. Not in us, not on us, but completely on and in Jesus. And on the other side of Jesus, we don't get God's anger or wrath for our sin. We get blessings uh, and we get his forgiveness and his mercy and his grace and all that we need for our worthy manner of living to fully please God. And he did this for our sins, uh, but also for the sins of the whole world. Christian, this is the good news that we believe and that we remember as we take this juice and this bread that Christ died for us, that our sins might be forgiven. But church, it's also a serious occasion. The Bible warns us not to take this meal if we have bitterness or unforgiveness in our hearts towards our brothers or sisters in Christ. Be encouraged today to forgive as you have been forgiven In Christ, pursue forgiveness and love for all the saints. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church,
1: or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.